Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know, because that was me, before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. Hello there, and thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Health Mystery Solved. Today, we're talking about the COVID vaccine. This episode has been in the works for a while, and to be completely honest, I was going back and forth about it for months. Vaccines are a sensitive topic, to say the least, right? But every single client I've talked to has been asking me about my thoughts during their consults, over email, on the phone. And while I'm not an MD, I know that you look to me for all types of answers because I can address things from a whole body perspective. And I think that I explain things in a fairly clear way, and I have the ability to be unbiased. My clients often say that I'm not just their functional nutritionist, but I'm also their educator, therapist, coach, and so on. And always makes me smile, and I'm so honored to be all of these things to you. And so when it comes to the vaccine, I know you have questions. So I wanted to be able to answer them to the best of my ability, based on what we know so far and on the latest research, and in a way that is hopefully very unbiased. Now, I want to preface this with the fact that this is not going to be a show on whether you should or should not get the vaccine. This is a very personal decision, and I am not suggesting one way or another. I don't have a general stance on being either pro or against because I think it's very personal and the decision is yours and only yours. So I'm not here to tell you what to do, but my hope is that if I can answer some of your questions and clear up some of the confusion and mystery around it, it will hopefully make the decision, whichever decision you make, easier for you. Now, I also just want to make a note that the research is coming out each week and there's new things all the time and they're changing quickly. I'm recording this in early May of 2021, and I know that many of you listen at different times, so just be aware of when you're listening, and I will record updates as I am able. I've been getting so many questions, but some of the main ones have been, should I just get COVID and get it over with? They don't have to worry about the vaccine. And then things like, how can I avoid negative reactions to the vaccine? Are there long-term side effects to the vaccine? And if I do decide to get it and I have a choice of which one, is there one you recommend? And then what about vaccines and autoimmunity? So I have been doing a lot of research, speaking to many of my colleagues and attending lectures and masterclasses, including one from my colleague, Dr. Elisa Song, that I just did recently, and it was extremely informative. And so I will use all of this information to help answer your questions. Now, first, for COVID itself, as I am sure you know, some people with underlying conditions are more at risk than others, and if someone is sick with COVID, some cases are more severe, while others are more mild. It's hard to say what determines how severe or mild a case will be, though some studies show that having proper vitamin D and zinc can help with the severity of the symptoms. Many people are now aware that a healthy lifestyle and optimized nutrients can help with the severity of symptoms. However, the other concern with COVID is not 
how severe the initial symptoms are, but even more so what's being called COVID syndrome or long COVID. Now, this is where someone may start to feel better from their initial symptoms, but then they develop other issues like fatigue or neurological symptoms, headaches, potential cardiovascular issues, or other vascular issues like blood clots and so on. And in some cases, people may find that they have symptoms during COVID and then they just don't seem to go away in a few weeks like they do for other people. When the epidemic first started, many people, including myself, thought that these long-term symptoms were happening to those that had more severe infections, thinking that there was a lot of inflammation due to the infection and that's what created it. However, now that we're about a year into this, we know that is not really the case. In fact, we're finding that those with more mild symptoms are the ones that are having more of these long-term lasting effects. And these longer lasting effects have been more common in those that are younger and have less underlying conditions like obesity, high blood pressure, and diabetes. So what is happening here? Well, it seems that these reactions are not necessarily due to the infection itself per se, but an immune reaction to it, meaning that the immune system fights COVID and it creates antibodies. And then those antibodies can at times confuse the immune system and attack other tissues. And we're going to get into this much more in just a second. But more and more, it's these long-term side effects that have people more worried. And trust me, I get it. And that is the question that we all need to weigh out. So let's talk about the vaccine. First, many people are asking, how do these vaccines work? What are the differences? And is there one that you would recommend? There are a couple of main vaccines that are available. And I know that you are listening from all around the globe. And so certain ones are more available in some areas than others. But the four that tend to be the most available right now are the Pfizer and Moderna, which are the mRNA vaccines, and the Johnson & Johnson and the AstraZeneca, which are the adenovirus vector vaccines, or also called DNA vaccines. Now with Pfizer and Moderna, what happens here is they take mRNA, which codes for the spike protein. So those are like the little crowns on the coronavirus. Now, mRNA itself is very fragile, so it has to be wrapped in something. And so they wrap it in what is called a lipid nanoparticle, and they use polyethylene glycol for that. And then it's less fragile, so that mixture gets into the cells. Our cells then read and code it to make the spike protein. Our immune system is then able to respond, and it does it in two ways with two different types of immune cells, our B cells and our T cells. So what B cells do is they produce antibodies so that if we get COVID, our immune system has those antibodies for it, and it's able to fight it. And then the T cells, and if you've ever heard of the term, the killer T cells, they do exactly that. If they see the virus, they go directly after it, they attack it, kill it, neutralize it. Now, as you know, for the mRNA vaccines, there are two shots, and it's not uncommon to have side effects after the second shot. And this isn't necessarily considered a quote-unquote bad thing, because what happens is your body makes antibodies to COVID, and then when you get that second shot or the booster shot, 
your body then already has antibodies and it responds. So it's really, in a way, your body's doing what it's supposed to be doing. The issue though, is that if those symptoms last longer than just a few days, or if there's symptoms after the first dose, which typically, and again, anything can happen, but that's not as common. Now, both Pfizer and Moderna work in the exact same way, but even though they're exactly the same, there is a big difference, and that's in dosage. So Pfizer has 30 micrograms of mRNA, and Moderna has 100 micrograms of mRNA. That is three times as much. Now, could this be why we're seeing more side effects with Moderna over Pfizer? Possibly, but I still think it depends on the person. For example, both of my parents got vaccinated, but they went to two different places and ended up getting two different vaccines. My mom got the Pfizer, my dad got the Moderna. My mom didn't react at all to the first shot, but after the second shot, she had all of the typical symptoms, the fever, the chills, headache, body aches, and it lasted for about 48 hours, and she was fine after that, thankfully. My dad had Moderna, he didn't feel anything after the first shot, and after the second, he might have had a headache for 10 minutes, he said, and that's it. Now, here's an example of him getting the stronger one and being fine, and my mom getting the one that has less mRNA, and she did have more symptoms. So I don't think we could say it's definitely that. I think a lot of it also depends on your immune system and how well your immune system attacks and makes the antibodies. And in some situations, especially if someone may already be prone to autoimmunity, is it possible that the immune system is overactive, right? Or too hypervigilant. And in the case of antibodies, we want our body to make the antibodies, but if it's very hypervigilant, that's where we may have more symptoms. Now, the Johnson & Johnson and the AstraZeneca vaccine are a bit different, but they're actually not that much different. So I know, obviously, the mRNAs are two shots where this is only one, but how they're created is similar. So what they do here is they use an adenovirus, which, by the way, cannot replicate in your cells, and it also cannot mutate. That's just impossible. So I know there's some concern about that. That can't happen. And this adenovirus has DNA in it that codes for spike protein inserted into it. The adenovirus gets into our cells. It injects the spike protein into our nucleus, and that DNA gets converted into the mRNA, which then gets outside of the cell, and then that gets read, and then that is what creates the spike proteins. And from there, it's the exact same process as with the Pfizer and Moderna mRNA vaccines, where we then will get either B cell and or T cell immunity. So our B cells respond with antibodies and T cells are there so that if they see the virus, they then neutralize it, kill it, attack it. What is important to know here is that these four vaccines that we just talked about, they're not live viruses. So there's no way that there could be any viral shedding. That can only happen with a weakened virus. So there are certain more traditional vaccines, like the chickenpox vaccine, for example, that may have the ability to do that. But this cannot happen with these COVID vaccines. Now, people are also asking, okay, it's understandable that we may get reactions after the second shot. And as long as it's 24 to 48 hours, it's no big deal. 
But what if those reactions last longer? What if they last a week or even more? Well, some say it could be the toxins. But what's also interesting is that these vaccines are different than traditional vaccines, and they actually don't have any heavy metals or formaldehydes or some of the other toxins that are typically found in more traditional vaccines. Now, there are still other ingredients. So there is the polyethylene glycol. There's also polysorbate 80. And for some people, those can create allergic reactions. Um, but I think there is more to this than just that initial reaction from the potential ingredients. And that goes along with the question, what about vaccines and autoimmunity? There is a possible connection. And this is due to what's called cross-reactivity, or another word for that would be molecular mimicry. Now, there's a study that was done at the end of January by Drs. Vojdani, it's father and son, and Dr. Karazian, and they found that when you make antibodies to the spike protein, they can look similar to your own tissues and can cross-react with a process called molecular mimicry. This is very similar to what happens with gluten and Hashimoto's, or other autoimmune diseases. And I talk a lot about this on the show. So if you're gluten-free due to autoimmunity, you may already know this connection. But just to review, if your body has an issue with, say, gluten, you would make antibodies to gluten. There are similarities between compounds on the antibodies and on various organs, like your thyroid, for example. So if your body sees gluten and you have gluten antibodies, it attacks the gluten, but because of the similarities it has to say your thyroid, it can then attack the thyroid at the same time. That makes sense? Immunologists have been concerned about this gross reactivity when there is similarity between pathogens and tissues. Now here's what Dr. Vijdani and Karazian said, quote, in summary, we took human monoclonal antibodies against different SARS-CoV-2 targeted antigens and reacted them against more than 60 different human tissue antigens to determine how much cross-reactivity was present. We found human antibodies against spike protein and other SARS-CoV-2 targets had significant cross-reactivity to several human tissues, including the mitochondria, blood-brain barrier, intestinal barrier proteins, TPO, which many of you are very familiar with, that's the thyroid peroxidase antibodies for thyroid, and GAT65, those are found in the pancreas and the nervous tissue. They actually saw cross-reactions with 28 different tissues. The most significant cross-reactivity was found against the mitochondria Mitochondria are like the little batteries inside all of your cells. And this matches the most common symptom that is seen months following the infection, which is chronic fatigue. Now, overall, they say our findings seem to suggest that at least in a test tube, the antibodies developed as part of an immune response against SARS-CoV-2 may potentiate specific autoimmunity. What's interesting here is that it seems like it's not the vaccine itself or some type of a toxin in it, but it's your immune system and it's how your immune system responds as you make the antibodies. Meaning that it seems like it's the antibodies that you make to the spike protein itself that can cross-react. So essentially, 
whether you get the infection, right, you get COVID, or you get the vaccine, you're going to be getting those antibodies because when you're sick with COVID, your body produces antibodies against it. And when you get the vaccine, you produce the antibodies. That's the point of the vaccine. And it's the production of the antibodies that could potentially cross-react. Now, the key word here is potentially, right? It doesn't mean it will definitely happen. And thankfully, I feel that there are things you can do to support your system and work on balancing the immune system to help prevent as much cross-reactivity. People have also been asking about some of the other potential effects that we've been seeing, like blood clots or things like miscarriage and infertility. And it seems from my understanding that it's all immune system related. So it's what your immune system does. For example, miscarriage And they don't know for sure if there is a link, and I think it's way too early to tell. But the way that it could happen is that spike protein was found to contain amino acid sequences that were similar to proteins found in the placenta. And this is where the potential concern comes from. Now, is that really true? Can it happen? We don't know, but there is some similarity. And then in terms of blood clots, what happens there is again, an autoimmune reaction. So it's not that the vaccine creates the clot, but it's your immune system as it goes to fight it and create the antibody, it can activate other pathways that can cause that. Now, I have seen many, many people who have gotten the vaccine and have been absolutely fine as far as we know so far, but I've also seen people who've had reactions. So I think it really depends on what your immune system is doing. But what is important to note here is that infection with COVID and vaccination are going to be similar in terms of the antibodies created. So to answer the question about vaccines and autoimmunity, it's hard to say for sure, but in theory, it can occur because the point of the vaccine is for your body to make the antibodies. Now, the other thing to remember is when we look at autoimmunity, and this is something I talk about a lot in previous episodes, specifically, um, there was an episode I did called Demystifying Autoimmunity. And we talk about overflowing buckets and we talk about certain pillars. So oftentimes we may have a predisposition to autoimmune, but it doesn't mean that it's going to happen. But there are triggers and the four main triggers are going to be foods that you eat, toxins that you're exposed to, the stress that you're under and possible infections. Now, of course, there's many sub buckets within those four pillars, but those are the things that tend to be big triggers for people. And so when we look at supporting our body as a whole for either the infection, right, or the vaccine, we want to make sure that we do things to balance the immune system. So we don't want to suppress the immune system, right, because it needs to work, but we don't want it to be hypervigilant and we don't want to do anything to offset it and make it work you know, extra well, it has to work well, but still be balanced, if that makes sense. And so when we look at supporting the body holistically, we want to make sure that we address those pillars. And so that leads me to my next question, which is, is there anything that we can do to offset these potential negative effects? 
And also, if we do happen to get COVID, is there anything that we can do to hopefully prevent long COVID? And the answer to that is there is a lot that you can do and it is a whole body approach. Now, I love supplements. You know that I talk about supplements a lot, but I always say that supplements, while very, very helpful, are not everything. And we have to look at all of it. So first and foremost, it's our diet. We have to eat a clean diet. Lots of fruits, vegetables, clean proteins. You know, for some of you that are able to eat grains, great, good, healthy, organic, whole grains. Others that are more on a paleo diet, you know, we want to make sure that we're eating our clean proteins, lots of clean, organic, when possible, veggies. And if you know that your body's sensitive to certain foods, it is very important that you avoid those foods, especially if you're sick or if you're looking to get the vaccine. If you're not sure, getting a food sensitivity test could be really helpful so that then you're not offsetting the body with eating foods that your body doesn't like. The next thing is stress management. And here, remember, stress could be emotional or physical. So supporting the body with balancing blood sugar and a clean diet will help to address some of the physical stressors and then anything else you can do to help support your body from a mind-body perspective. So whether that's meditation, whether that's breath work, whether that's journaling and just doing a brain dump, maybe it's going out for a walk, maybe it's exercise. Now with exercise, remember that if you're very stressed, too much exercise can appear like more stress to the body. So perhaps for you, more moderate or light exercise like Pilates or yoga or bar or just walking, but moving your body is very important. And then getting proper sleep. We can't underestimate sleep. I know that everyone is busy and there's a lot going on, but the more you try to get close to the eight hours, the better. And I know that for some of you, because fatigue is an issue, especially with certain autoimmunity and thyroid issues, you may be needing more sleep. I know for me, eight hours is great, but if I get nine, I'm golden. So I value my sleep a lot, and whenever possible, I try to get it. It's a little hard with a baby, but we do what we can. And so if you know that you're someone that needs nine hours of sleep, or possibly maybe even a little bit more, prioritize your sleep. Often people ask me, oh, well, I shouldn't be tired, and why do I need to sleep so much? And again, there's probably something underlying which we can work on, but at the same time, if you know you feel better with nine hours, see if you can get that. Some people say, well, I don't want to feel lazy. I don't want to sleep all day. And of course, there's a difference, right, between sleeping all day and getting nine hours. But if you know you feel better with nine and you're consistently getting six, let's see if we can work our way there. It doesn't make you lazy. It doesn't make you less than. It doesn't make you weak. Some people just require a little more sleep. So be kind and gentle to yourself and give that to yourself, especially right now. It will be very, very helpful. Now, once you have that base, supplements can also be extremely helpful. This is something I would recommend if you're choosing to get the vaccine, but also if you come down with COVID, this is something that I think would be helpful in balancing the immune system so that it doesn't upregulate it too much or doesn't downregulate it. So it'll help you fight it and hopefully help prevent some of these long-term effects. So first, we want to make sure that our vitamin D levels are optimal. So we want to aim for 50 to 80. Depending on the person, that may mean anywhere from 
5,000 to maybe 7,000 international units a day, but you have to look at your levels. It's going to be different depending on where you live, but you want your vitamin D close to that middle mark, which is going to be between 50 and 80, not 30, which is just the very minimal in terms of that minimum on the lab range. We then want to make sure that we're getting plenty of vitamin C. I recommend 3,000 milligrams a day. And there's a, a lot of different ways you can get it. There's liposomal liquid vitamin C. Um, I use the one from Quicksilver. I'll put that in the show notes. I find that that one is really nice because it doesn't have some of the GI um, issues that the others can cause. So it's very, very, <clears throat> it's very, very neutral to our GI and our bowel movements. There's also vitamin C powder. I use the C plus Biofiz by Designs for Health. And typically one teaspoon of that gives you 2,500 milligrams and you're very close to the 3,000 mark. So I just do a heaping teaspoon and that gives the amount that you need. And then there's capsules. For some people, it's easier to swallow capsules. I use the Stellar C by Designs for Health. There's about 700 milligrams of vitamin C. So I recommend anywhere between four and five of those a day. And they're very gentle, um, generally to the stomach as well. Then after that, uh, I recommend things that balance the immune system. So if you decide to get the vaccine, I recommend starting this a few days before and then taking it through the whole time between the first and second shot and for about two weeks after the second shot. If you get the J&J vaccine or the AstraZeneca one, then you would start for a few days before and then take it for three to four weeks after just because you are creating the antibodies in that time. And so what I recommend there is three things. Number one is curcumin. Curcumin is very balancing to the immune system. And I've seen great results with it. I use the curcuma veil by Designs for Health, and I recommend two capsules a day, one in the morning, one in the evening. I then recommend glutathione. Some of you may know glutathione is the master antioxidant, but what people don't always know is glutathione is a really important immune balancer. So it prevents the immune system from getting too hypervigilant, but it does not downregulate it or suppress it in any way. Now, there are a lot of different ways to get glutathione, but glutathione is hard to absorb. So even though they make glutathione in capsules, I personally like glutathione in liquid form. And I use either the trisomal glutathione by Apex. And by the way, we do have that on the website. I'm going to post the link. You just have to be logged into your account to see it. If you click on the link and you don't see it, it's because you're not logged in and you can easily create a log on and get in. And that one actually tastes really good. It's almost like this like sweet and sour. It's really good. And then the other glutathione that I use is by Quicksilver. It's called therizomal glutathione. That one comes in a small bottle. So it's good if you just need a small amount for a couple of weeks. And the trisomal is a bigger bottle and it's perfect because if you're getting the Moderna or Pfizer and you start a few days before and take it through your second dose, it will last you that long. So the timing works out. And with that, if you do the trisomal glutathione, you would take one teaspoon a day, either first thing in the morning or at bedtime. And if you do the thermosomal glutathione, you would take four pumps of that two times a day, or you could take eight pumps once a day if that's easier for you. And the last supplement recommendation is something called SPM Supreme. 
I was recently speaking to a colleague who has been using this for a while for both COVID side effects and long-term effects, as well as vaccine, and she's been getting great results with it. And so I started recommending it as well, in addition to the other stuff I was using, and I'm getting even better results. So what SPMs are is they are specialized pro-resolving mediators. Now they come from fish oil, but it's not enough just to take fish oil. You would need to take bottles and bottles of fish oil just to get enough of what you're getting in one capsule. And what they do is, as the name suggests, they resolve inflammation by regulating it. So if your immune system becomes upregulated due to some of the inflammation from the vaccine, this helps to bring it down, but again, not suppress it, just balance it. And the same thing can happen if you get COVID and there are issues with the antibodies that are created. And we've had really good results with this and some of the long COVID symptoms in preventing them. And so the SPM Supreme is by Designs for Health, and I'll have all of this in the show notes. And the instructions are to take one gel cap once a day with any meal. So that one is powerful, but very easy to take. So in summary, the supplements that I recommend are having adequate levels of vitamin D, about 3,000 milligrams of vitamin C, curcumin, glutathione, and SPM Supreme. Now, along with that, I recommend a good multivitamin that has lots of B vitamins in their methylated form because methylation is very important. And many people are already taking a good multivitamin. So just double check to make sure the B vitamins are in the methyl form. Uh, so when you look at things like folate or B12, it should say methylcobalamin or methylfolate. And that is going to be very, very helpful. I'm going to put all of this in the show notes with the exact instructions, because I know it's a lot to remember. So you guys will have all of that in the show notes. So you can go to the website, healthmysterysoft.com and click on episode 92, where you'll see everything. Or if you're listening in any of the podcast apps, just scroll down and you'll see the show notes right there. So to answer your question about which vaccine is best, if you do decide to get one, honestly, it is a little bit hard to say. There is a lot we still don't know. However, if you are someone who's very sensitive, prone to side effects, if you are dealing with autoimmunity, and if you're someone that just tends to get reactions from things, even just general medications, possibly the Pfizer may be the better choice because it has less mRNA. It's three times less than the Moderna. And from everything that we understand so far, it is supposed to be just as effective at preventing infection. So while, of course, it's hard to say exactly, and it's hard for me to recommend, that one has less mRNA, so possibly there may be less side effects there. I understand that either way, the decision is not easy. And there's a lot of things to weigh out. Risk for serious infection, risk for long covid risk for potential adverse reactions to vaccines. And, you know, unfortunately, this is something that no one can decide for you. A lot of the risks are individual and the decision is going to also be individual. And I know that it's a serious decision. But with that said, whether you decide to get the vaccine or not, in order to build this resilience, we really want to look at things from all of the angles. 
So it's not just the supplements, so they are very important, but please also pay attention to your diet, your exercise, your sleep, your lifestyle, and how you manage your stress. When you look at things from every angle, your body is going to have a lot more support and then you can build true resilience. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. And if you found this information helpful and know someone that can benefit from it, please share this episode with them and be sure that you subscribe to the show so that you never miss an episode. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening. And I will see you next time on Health Mystery Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.